We're going to be picking up again at verse 5, but we are going to back up into verse 4. And I pray that we would heed and listen to what we're going to speak on today. This is very powerful for you to understand, to get a hold of the wisdom that we find here in the Word of God. And we want to ask God to help us here this morning, so let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for the book of 1 Corinthians, Lord. Father, the Bible says for us to give thanks in everything. And Lord, we are very thankful to be here this morning. I pray that your word would light a fire in our own bosoms, Lord. That we would heed your word, Lord. That we'd be doers of your word that we would actively be involved in ministry at whatever caliber you've given us and be involved in people's lives that are hurting, Lord, all around us. So, Lord, we ask you now just to bless this time, bless your word, and may I wholly be dependent on you, Lord, to speak what needs to be spoken. And we just give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we come back into 1 Corinthians, we come to Paul's thankfulness for this church, and it's very important to be very thankful. The Bible says give thanks in everything. You know, to be able to gather in this building free of persecution, free of the government walking in and shutting us down like so many are being done today, we realize that we have an obedience that truly proves our love to our Christ. I mean, to us that have been born again, Christ is our treasure. Christ is our life. He is everything to us the bible makes it very clear that he is our all in all and so if somebody came to you and asked you what is your thought about christ you and i should be able to give a very clear and definite answer he is our life he is our everything for he has saved us and washed us of all our sins especially to them that have been born again of course and every time you preach the gospel you have still unconverted people that stand before you but I pray the Holy Spirit would bring you unto an illumination, the understanding of what the Savior is all about and what he was going to do when he was upon this earth to build a church. I mean, the Bible makes it very clear that there is one foundation, and that is the church of Jesus Christ. When you look at Paul's thankfulness here, as you open up in verse 4, it said here, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God that was given you by Jesus Christ. Now, you and I realize that the grace that has been given to us is where you and I have an absolute realization that Jesus Christ died for you. He rose again from the dead the third day. He ascended up to the Father, and he sits at the right hand of God, which means he is our Redeemer, our Savior. He is our the eternal Son of God who came to seek and to save all that was lost. And so when you and I think about the grace that's been given to us, we realize there was a heavy price to pay. I mean, when you and I think about the grace of God, we think, I don't, I don't know how a man can live without grace. I look around today and I see the world and the pain and the suffering that's going on, just things that we find out about like all the time, it seems. And I wonder to myself, how could a man live without Christ? How could a man go about his business day to day without Christ, without the fear of God, the creator of all men made in the image of God? And you and I, as an obedient child of God, we want all men to know who Christ is. We want to be a witness and a testimony of his grace. So when we talk about being thankful, we know that God, when he moves upon a heart, 
that can change a life in the inside out. To see one born again, to see one give a testimony of saving grace is very encouraging to us that have been saved for a period of time. For some, for some reason, we seem to forget about how mighty and powerful it was today that we came under the realization of who Christ was, where Christ stepped into our lives and brought us into his story. When we look at the book of 1 Corinthians, yes, there is a lot of turmoil in this church. There's a lot of pain and suffering going on. There are people that are indulging in sin and calling themselves Christians. We're going to see much of this as we go through this book. But I want you to realize, as Paul, when he opens up here, he's very thankful to God for this church. I'm very thankful to God for everyone that's truly born again. What a fellowship it is to come among the fellowship of the saints and talk to one that truly knows Christ and have a conversation about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done in our hearts and in our lives. We know that when we read the word of God that this is the word of God given to us, that we may know him more intimately and personally. Listen to me, as a child of God, we need to read our Bibles more and more as we see the day approaching. When you come to that day of death, whatever that may be for you, you'll realize that you'll wish that you would have read the scripture much more than what you do. I believe we should be reading it all the time. I believe we should have the word of God burning in our heart like it did with Jeremiah. I believe that every true child of God that understands the grace that has been given unto us knows that God has given us a holy book for us to read, to study, to meditate, to rightly divide and take God's word and use it for the breaking of stony men's hearts. And you and I have that power in Christ by the word of God to be able to talk to those that are dead and outside of Christ. But to you and I, we have been born again. If you are a child of God here today, if you have truly been redeemed, you are very thankful for Christ. When I look around and I see the people and all the situations that seem to be going on, the pain and the suffering, the sickness, the disease, and I wonder to myself, how can that man or that woman live without Christ? I don't know. But I do know that I could have been just like them, except God stepped into my life and changed my heart forever. I mean, think about the burning passion that you have for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you not burden your heart that all men would understand Christ the way you do? I mean, do we not really fully come to comprehend the power of God that changed our life, that radically changed us with a new heart, where we are a new creation, we're a new creature, that we've been born again and regenerated by the work of the power of the Holy Spirit? I mean, when I think about the thankfulness here, you and I should be so thankful that God has opened our eyes of our heart Behold the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how a man lives apart from the grace that's been given by God and God alone. I don't know how a man can go through the suffering and pain in this world apart from the Creator that made them in His image. But I do know that the hardness of the heart is very deceitful. I know we have to guard our hearts diligently. We have to pursue Christ with all our heart. I mean, when you and I are talking to people, we have to be a witness. I want to really stress that. Because you know, you and I know people that are hurting in deep pain and sorrow in their hearts. Maybe it's death, maybe it's sickness, whatever it may be. And you and I have been given grace by God to be able to be that comforter to them, to come alongside them, to aid them, to teach them the word of God. Because God has been so merciful to you and I that he's opened the eyes of our heart to behold his son. And so when we look here, what does Paul say when you come back into verse 5? That in everything ye are enriched. By him. I mean, when I think about being enriched, I'm being enriched by Christ. But how do I do that? Well, I read that by the renewing of my mind. 
It's called a transformation. It's called sanctification. It's called the Holy Spirit doing a work in our heart that we may know him and know him intimately. Where I don't just talk about Christ and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. No, I want you to know how I believe in Christ. How do I know that? It was a work of the Holy Spirit in my heart one day, regenerated my heart where Christ became so alive to me. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he rose from the dead and he went to that cross, paid that debt for me, and he sits at the right hand of God. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And how do I know that? It is all about God, that in everything you are enriched by him. I mean, to be a child of God in the world today and to know it with all your heart, that is a work and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. To believe that with absolute faith and assurity, to know that I am Christ and I have been bought with a price and I belong to him, is the work of the Holy Spirit. So when somebody comes up to me and they say, this bad thing has happened to me, whatever it may be, I may say, listen to me, what you need is you need Christ. You need to truly repent of your sins and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how you live outside of Christ. I don't know how you go about your day, day to day, thinking that you live by chance. You know, a lot of people say, well, it's the circumstances of my life. Well, God has ordained and orchestrated all these things that come into your life. There's a purpose for everything. There's a purpose for all the people that are in your lives. You know, each and every person in your life is kind of like Pilgrim's Progress. Every one of them people had a sanctifying work that was being done by God for his purpose and for his glory. And so when I think about Paul here, as he says, that in everything you are enriched by him, we're talking about spiritual riches in Christ. I mean, we have been made alive in Christ. You know, when I think about Jesus Christ, I think these words are God's words given to me. That's why I read the word of God. Why do I read it? Because I want to be renewed in my mind. I want to have God's word burning in my heart like Jeremiah. I want it to be in the depths of my soul. No matter what, who comes to me, asks me a question about anything, I can go to the scriptures and let the scriptures speak for themselves. I do not need to give them any of my human wisdom. I want him to know the Christ who is the power and wisdom of God. We're going to see that here in 1 Corinthians. But when we look here, what do we find? That in everything ye are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. Now, when you and I, when we study the word of God, the Holy Spirit brings many things to light for us. He gives us understanding and clarity into the scripture. That's why the Holy Spirit is our teacher. The Bible makes that very clear in 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, where the anointing from above teaches us all things. It doesn't mean that we do without pastors or teachers or evangelists or missionaries. The Bible makes it very clear there is a calling for that in a person's life. But as we look here, what do we find? That in everything that ye are enriched by him. I mean, to believe in Christ is the power of God in all utterance and in all knowledge. I mean, when you think about spiritual knowledge, when you think about the knowledge that you have of Christ, the word of God that has come alive in your heart, where you can actually have a conversation with somebody and you know the power of God in your life, you know that God's word is true, you know the promises are sure, you know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, and you sit down and you talk with a hurting soul and the word of God comes alive to them and maybe they truly repent and believe upon Christ, or maybe they are a Christian already and they're being renewed in the power of the Word of God. That's like you and I. If we're going to come to somebody and we're going to talk to them about Christ, we come with the Word of God. I mean, do you believe that when you talk to somebody with the Word of God, that God's Word never returns back void? You know, when I get up and preach in front of a group, whatever it may be, it could be a prison, it could be a college, whatever venue it may be, I know God's Word never returns back void. I know God's Word accomplishes exactly 
what it's supposed to accomplish. But if you and I as children of God do not have God's word written in the tables of our heart, how are we to speak the word of God in that time where you may come across somebody that's hurting or in pain, and you may be able to open up the word of God from your heart because maybe you don't have your Bible with you or your phone with you as they do today. Maybe you just have to come right from your heart exactly what the word of God says. And so when Paul is speaking here, he makes it very clear in all utterance, that's the speaking of the word of God, that's the knowledge of the holy. So when he says here that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. I mean, what does this world need more than anything? They need to see Christ. They need God's church to rise up and be an ambassador, a minister of reconciliation, one that doesn't just talk about it, one that lives it by a testimony of grace before God. Yes, we fail, Mr. Mark. Yes, we don't always do it right. Yes, it's a warfare. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Our, our life is a warfare. I mean, if you feel the devil doesn't target you, you can rest assured that you may be absolutely ineffective for the cause of Christ. But if we are going to be effective for the cause of Christ, his word must burn down deep into our heart. You guys are all going to come upon situations where you're going to have to make decisions. Make all your decisions based upon the word of God. Make sure that whatever decision you make, no matter how big or how small, is wholly based upon the utterance and the knowledge of God. So when you and I read the scripture, we're reading it for understanding. We're reading it for clarity. We want his word to burn in our heart. And what do we want his word to do most? Continually to change us and to conform us to Jesus Christ. I mean, when you look at Jesus Christ, do you see him as precious as what he is? You know, so many people today, they talk about Christ as if he's pretty non-existent. So many Christians, when you talk about Jesus Christ, they're just really not that passionate about him. I don't know how we live without being passionate for Christ. I don't know how as a Christian, one that truly has the Holy Spirit, could be anything but passionate and realize the treasure that we have in Christ and the preciousness of God. So when I look at the scripture here, and Paul makes it very clear that in everything, ye are enriched by him. God never leaves us. God never forsakes us. God encourages us. God takes us to the woodshed sometimes. God takes us to the word of God. God teaches us every moment of our life, every person in our life. God is using them as an instructor to teach you about himself and to show you you about yourself. You know, there's so many things that we don't know about ourselves. When I read the word of God, sometimes I realize there's so many different areas in my life that I'm so weak in and missing the mark so greatly. It's just to the point where you just want to weep for your own soul. But that is a work of the Holy Spirit. That is a work of sanctification. I mean, you and I are all being sanctified. If you are truly a born-again Christian and you've been given the Holy Spirit and sealed by him until the day of redemption, you're on a process of progressive sanctification. God is conforming you not to another person, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when I come into a situation, whatever it may be, I want to respond the way Christ responded. I want to respond the way he's taught me in his word. I want to respond with grace and mercy. I want to respond as one that truly knows Christ in his heart because he is known of God. Now, Paul talks about that. It ain't the idea of you just knowing Christ. It's the idea of being known of God. 
There's a big difference when you think about that. But this is the word of God. And so when I think about the spiritual knowledge, you and I should have enough instruction in the Bible where we can open up with somebody hurting and we can tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, tragic situations happen, you know, as we found out about even one this morning, and all the things that go on. But one thing I do know is everything God does is righteous. Every act that comes into my life, whatever it is, no matter who the person is, I know God's using that person for me to be conformed to Christ. So when I read the Word of God, I say, Lord Jesus, help me to be like Christ. Help me to respond the way Christ responds. Help me to understand with a pure heart and have clean hands and walk according to your truth. Help me to be undeceived. Help me to kill all deception. Help me to walk by obedience to the faith. Help me not to lie to myself and tell me things that are not true. Help me to see me for who I am so I may walk more holy and righteous before you. I mean, that's the desire of every true born-again Christian, to walk in holiness before the Lord. You know, the Bible says, if you went back to the Old Testament, it talks about holiness unto the Lord. They had a banner, holiness unto the Lord. Does God demand his children in the church to be holy? Absolutely. Holy, separated, separated unto him. And so when I look at Paul here, he says that in everything, you're enriched by him in all utterance and all knowledge. Paul is addressing the church. Paul is addressing the Christian Paul is addressing him at the depth of his heart, knowing that you and I have a lot to be thankful for. You know, we think about getting out of bed in the morning, and we think, well, that's just kind of a guarantee. Well, you and I know that that's not always a guarantee. You know, when all of a sudden you're unable to get out of bed, whatever it may be the reason for it, you realize, what am I going to do now? Or somebody that went to bed last night and didn't wake up this morning has passed into eternity. Happens all the time. But what I want you to realize is each and every day we prepare ourselves for the homecoming. We prepare ourselves for our face-to-face -face encounter with God, right? We do that every day. And we do that by the renewing and the renewing of the mind that will have the knowledge of the holy in our heart that we know God through his word by the power and working of the Holy Spirit because he's working in us, through us, and upon us. So when situations come into our life on a Monday or any other day, we have the answers already written in our heart. We know what we should do, and we believe it wholeheartedly because the Holy Spirit has been working that grace into your heart all the time that you have been born again. I mean, that's true to any of us that have been saved. So when we look here, what is Paul talking about? Paul wants to encourage this church. You know, it's this, church, this church here is very dysfunctional. There's many things. There's sin in the camp. There's all kinds of things that are going on. But Paul comes with great encouragement. The first thing he does is encourage the believers. Because I don't know about you, but as a believer, we need encouragement. Amen? I mean, we need people to encourage us. We need people to come alongside us. We need people to honestly, truly pray for us. You know, a lot of times people say, hey, will, we, hey, will you pray for me? Oh, yeah, I'll pray for you, and you don't pray for them. Listen to me. If you tell somebody you're going to pray for them, you need to pray for them. Don't just give them lip service. Be earnest with it, right? Because you and I as children of God know that we need to what? We need people to pray for us. We're in desperate need of prayer. Every person, every child of God, everyone that's born of the Spirit, we need prayer. We need the prayer of the saints. We need the prayer of the godly. We need the righteous man for his prayers to avail much. We want him to pray for us, and we need to pray for others. 
with the same attitude, with the same understanding. Because none of us can say, well, I don't need your prayer. Everything in my life is fine. It amazes me how you can come to a prayer meeting and they have nothing to pray for. This whole world is on its way to hell in a handbag, and we have nothing to pray for. We got all kinds of things that we can pray for. Because so many things that we think are well with our life and our, and our soul are not well with our soul. We're just deceived in our heart. We don't see it the way we need to see it. And so when we look here, Paul is encouraging them. He's bringing them back to the basics, per se. Because when you look there in verse 4, he said, I thank my God. I like the way Paul always addresses God. He's my God, okay? We can address God in the same way. He is my God. He is my Christ. He is my Savior. So when Paul says here, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. So look what he says there. I pray for you. Why? Because they need Paul's prayers. And you know what Paul needs? Paul needs their prayers. Paul needs people to pray for him. Paul is not the superman. Paul is a sinner. Paul is a weak vessel. Paul is one like you and I. We need the prayers of the saints. We need the encouragement from the saints. We need that. That's the way God made us. God made us for a fellowship, right? I mean, that's the purpose of a local New Testament church is a fellowship. We need each other. We know that we all have our struggles. We know that we have our pain and suffering. We know we have situations that we're trying to deal with. And we should be confident enough where we pray one for another. So when Paul opens up there, everything give thanks. Everything, you're enriched by him. The reason that we can give thanks is because you're enriched by him. We've already said that in all utterance and all knowledge. So when I think about utterance, I realize that if I'm going to speak the word of God, I must do it with knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the holy, right? Kind of like A.W. Tozer's book, Knowledge of the Holy. I want to know him. I want to be known of him. And I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Peter says at the end of his book in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. So when we look here, what do we see? That in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and all knowledge, Look at our word all. This is pas, P-A-S. All knowledge. The only way we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ is by the reading of the word of God, the meditating upon the word of God, the rightly dividing the word of God, exegeting the text, doing the expository expression of the word of God where we can take a testimony like this, take it to our heart, and know that this is what I should be. I should be, as Paul is here, one that truly and genuinely cares a Christian, for a brother or sister in Christ. So what does he say? That in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was conformed in you. Now that's a very powerful voice. What are we talking about? This is what we talk about when we talk about spiritual resources, expectations. You know, the Bible says that my expectation cometh from the Lord. My expectation doesn't come from the flesh. It doesn't come from a human being. My expectation comes from God. Why do we know that? Because that's what the Bible says in Psalm 62, 5. My expectation cometh from the Lord. That's what the psalmist said. Look what he says here. Even as the testimony of Christ was conformed in you. I mean, if somebody looked at your day-to-day -day life, would they see a testimony 
of Christ. In other words, would you represent the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there something different about you? Maybe different than most Christians that you know. You know, there are a lot of people that profess a faith they don't possess. They talk about a Christ whom they've never met. They talk about the Holy Spirit who has never sealed them. They talk about God in all these ways. They may have knowledge of the Bible in a sense of a human knowledge. They may have verses of the Bible memorized, but they have never met Christ. Now, we can call it what we will. We can say, well, maybe you're more so of a mystic, as some would say. But what I do know is that Christ is made known to us by the working and the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we look at a verse like Romans chapter 8, verse 29, we are continually being conformed to Christ. In other words, I'm not as other people. I am Christ. And I understand the power of what it means to be a Christ. And what are we talking about here? Because the testimony, you know, the testimony of grace. I mean, you have an opportunity to give a testimony. I don't understand how a child of God that professes Christ cannot give a testimony of what Christ has done in their life. You have a testimony of grace. If you are truly a child of God, God has done a work in your life that he might not have done in my life. He might have shown you things that he's never shown me. He might have worked in your life in a way that he never worked in mine, or vice versa. But what I do know is that when I hear testimony, when I think of the power of God, where a person's life has been changed from the inside out, where everything they once knew, they walked away, and they're following Christ with all their heart, they're striving for excellence, they're walking in the power of the Spirit, they're hating their sin, they're killing their sin, they're taking that axe to the roots of their sin because the truth of it is if we are truly being sanctified by God we have the root of our sin that we need to take the axe to and we need to kill it and that's exactly what Paul is talking about when he talks about this testimony even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you I mean these are true born-again brothers and sisters in Christ these are them that have been truly regenerated. They have a new life. It didn't just last a year or two. I mean, there's some that fall on the third soil. They go well for a couple of years, and then they fade away. They were never Christ. That's a third soil conversion. They were never Christ. Remember, you know, one of the great verses of eternal security is found in Matthew 7. And what do I mean by that? We can call it the perseverance of the saints. Call it what you will. But when the Bible says, I never knew you, depart from me, ye worker of iniquity, that means he never knew you. You know, these people that talk about getting saved over and over again, that is unbiblical. It is not in the Bible. When one is truly born again and converted, they know Christ and they are known of Christ. Because that's a work of the Holy Spirit. So when I think about my testimony, I want my testimony to be confirmed in Christ. And Paul, speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit, obviously, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. How does that testimony confirmed? You know, until we say, well, because we're Christians, everything in our life goes well. Well, you and I that have been Christians very long know that that is not true. Everything does not always go well. But we do know that when things do go the way they go, that God has a purpose for them. I mean, to you that have read Pilgrim's Progress, and I hope you all read it, 
quite a few times. I know Spurgeon said he read Pilgrim's Progress over a hundred times in his life. It's a great book and a great read because all of us can be a pilgrim. All of us have gone through the same things that he went through to come to the celestial city. But you see the power and working of God in his life. He had a testimony. Yes, he went the wrong direction. Yes, he tried to shorten things up and make it easier. Yes, he paid the price for it. But in the end, he came to the celestial city and he was omitted to you that have read the book. And you should read it. I really encourage you to read the book. You know, some people like to read it in the Old English. Some people like to read it in more contemporary. doesn't matter. The same effect is there. But when we look here, that testimony, you know, somebody comes up and says, you know, this or that or whatever it may be, and you say, you know, I, I do have a testimony of Christ. He has done an amazing work in my heart, and I trusted Christ or re repented of my sins, believed on him, whatever it may be. And that person says, you know, I would, I've been trying to meet that Christ all my life, and I've never found a real Christian to show me how to meet him. Well, you and I can't get the man saved, but we can sure give him the truth of the word of God. Amen. And all of that in the gospel, knowing that God's word goes forth, it never returns back void, just like Isaiah talks about. But when I looked here and I said, even as a testimony of Christ is confirmed in you, I mean, I don't know about you, but wouldn't it be something for that for Paul to say, the testimony of Christ is confirmed in you. I know you're one of his. I know you walk in truth. I know you love the Lord Jesus Christ. I know you're trying to kill your sin in your life every day. Listen to me. That sin is so destructive. We have got to grab the axe and we have got to chop it at its roots. You know, if you and I are going to do any kind of weeding and we just cut the tops off the weeds, they come back, right? That's like as a child of God when we're going through the sanctification process. We need to take an axe and we need to hit it at the roots. And we need to ask God the Holy Spirit help us to hit it at the roots and so when Paul is speaking here he makes it very clear even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so what does he say verse 7 expectation look what it says so that ye come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ now when we look here in our context we're talking about the second coming of Christ okay so when we look here, he says, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, let's think about that for a minute. Are you waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, when you think about the coming of Christ, you and I, we would say, I'm waiting because I believe maybe, maybe I'll be raptured and I won't have to die. Well, I understand that, and it's a good thought. I mean, we all think about that. To us that actually believe in rapture, as we've talked about at length. But when I think about that, I realize I just want to see Christ. I just want to be with him. I know he loves me with a love I don't understand. I know he never leaves me nor forsakes me. I know that he's given me the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, that has sealed me until the day of redemption. But I would love for Christ just to grab a hold of me. I mean, there was a picture I remember years ago. There was a picture I got working in jail ministry at a county jail level at that time. And I remember, it was, you've probably seen it maybe, where the workman's got the hammer in his hand and he's just collapsed and Christ is behind him. And I know all the stuff that goes along with that. But it was always a picture that meant so much to me because when Christ saved my soul, it was like I collapsed in his arms. I had no strength in myself. It was either him or I die. And he saved my soul. 
and I repented of my sins, and I've been fighting ever since, and I still have not got total victory, but I do know that when glorification day comes, I have total victory, amen. You'll be saved to sin no more at that glorification. That's that final phase of your salvation. So when we look here, and I thought about that, he said, waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that something that you're waiting for? Is that something that burns in your heart where you just can't wait to be with Christ? I mean, maybe it'll be rapture, maybe it'll be death. But either way, you'll be with Christ one day where all of a sudden God weans us off of this world. You know, this is the way God works, I believe. I believe he weans us off of this world and all of a sudden we get to a point in our life, in this life, where we just want to be with Christ. That we've had enough of this world, enough of the suffering, enough of my own life. I just want to be with Christ. I mean, do you ever feel in such a way? Because I want you to know, God is going to wean you off of this earth. You're, you're just not even going to want to have a desire to be here no more. God's going to bring you unto himself. And he does that through all kinds of things that take place in our life. But it makes us tired, makes us weary. Where you know, the Bible says, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap. And we will reap. We will reap Christ. We will be forever with him. You know, to a child of God, that should bring great comfort into this church. I think Paul wants it to bring good comfort. Because he doesn't leave it there. I mean, when you look at verse 7 and he says there, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every true child of God will be weaned off this earth and they just want to be with Christ. You know why? Because Christ is the love of their life. God the Holy Spirit has done such a work of sanctification in your heart. Christ is your treasure. Christ is the most precious part of your life. Christ is your hope. Christ is your all in all. Christ is the purpose of your life. Christ is why I live today. I don't know how a man lives without Christ. They live for themselves. They're very selfish, very self-oriented. It's all about them. You talk to people like that. But to a child of God, we should have a love and a burden in our heart. Just want to be with Christ. But maybe it's more needful for us to be here because we can be a testimony of grace and we can talk to others about the Christ that we love so dearly. And that's why we're here today, you know. The purpose of your life is to glorify God in everything you do. The purpose of your life is to be a witness of the grace that God has given many of us. That is the work and power of the Holy Spirit. That is where Christ is precious with you. Because you know one day there will be a homecoming. God has already ordained the day and the means by which you will die. We know that to be true because God is very clear in what he's spoken. And you and I rest and trust and know that even when death comes, it will be swallowed up in victory. Because to a child of God, death is a shadow of death. You understand the shadow aspect? It's a shadow of death. And I'll forever be with Christ. And I'll be restored completely and wholly for eternity. Because I'll be with my shepherd. So look what Paul says here with the encouragement. I like verse 8. Who shall also confirm you unto the end? Let's back up, verse 7. So that ye come behind in no give, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall also confirm you? This is Christ. Look to who. Who shall also confirm you unto the end? I mean, when I think about the eternal security of a believer, the perseverance of the saints, whatever it may be, I know that when I laid hold upon eternal life, that eternal life was Christ and Christ alone. I know no matter what the situation is, Christ will always be there for me. He will always be faithful. 
And so when I look at a verse like this, who shall also confirm you unto the end? I know the only one that will confirm me unto the end is the Christ that I know because I'm known of the Christ. You know, not a mere profession of faith, as some would say. Not a mere person saying, I'm a Christian, when you have no idea whether you're a Christian or not. You've never come to the understanding and the realization where you have such a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. You just want to be with him. You want to know his word. You want to have it written in your heart. You want to walk in truth. You want to kill the sin. You want to fight the fight. You want to lay hold on eternal life. And you know all of that is a work of God in your life. So when Paul says here, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless. Look at our word blameless here. In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize what the word blameless means here? Let's look at the context. When we talk about divine faithfulness, we see God in everything. When we talk about being blameless, the reason that we are blameless is not because we do not sin. The reason that we are blameless is that we have imputed the imputed righteousness of Christ in our heart that I stand based upon before a holy God upon the imputed righteousness of Christ plus nothing. It's not about my performance. It's about God's performance and what he has done in my life. So when I look at the scripture here, which will also confirm you unto the end, I'm thankful to know that in my journey, in my pilgrimage, that I will be blameless at the end of my life. And not because I was perfect, not because I was sinless, not because I didn't struggle with sin all my life, trying to lay the ax to the root to kill it. But what I do know is that Christ his righteousness and life and merit was imputed to me. All I had to offer him was my sin. And he bore my sin, the past, the present, and the future. So when God forgave me that day that I was born again, let me say one thing. You will never be more forgiven than the day you were born again. Never. That day that you were born again, regenerated by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, that means that that day you are forgiven of all your sins. You'll never be more forgiven than you were that day because you were complete in Christ, right? So when you look here, he says, who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The ones that are blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ are them that are known of the shepherd. For you, say, I know Christ, and I am knowing of Christ. I am Christ. He died for me. That's a testimony of sure grace. But when we look here, what does he say? Who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look when we look at divine faithfulness. God is faithful. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I look at the word here and I think to myself, Am I faithful? Absolutely not. I want to be faithful. I strive in that direction. But am I perfectly 100% faithful? No. But I know the one who is. The Bible says God is faithful. When I think about divine faithfulness, I know that the promises of God written in this book are mine. And they're mine because they've been given to me by the grace that has been given unto me and the mercy that I live by day by day. Where I want the word of God to burn in my heart like a fire. I want it to burn in my bosom. I want to believe with all my heart 
every word, every jot, every tittle in the book, I want it to be in my heart. I want it to burn. I don't worry about the debate. I don't worry about whatever the argument may be. For I know Christ, I'm knowing of Christ, and God is faithful to me based upon the imputed righteousness of Christ. Amen? That's the faithfulness of God. God is faithful to his Son. And you and I, if we have been truly born again, as the scripture says, we have been given to the Son by the Father. All that come to me, them the Father hath given me. I give them eternal life. That is the work and power of the Holy Spirit. We understand that. So when we look here, God is faithful. There's no doubt about it that if I'm a child of God and I have trusted Christ with all my heart, I know God is faithful. I know that I miss the mark every day, but by grace I've been saved, not of myself. It's a gift of God. That's what your Bible says. So when we look here, what does he say? Who shall confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. I mean, God is faithful. I mean, if you come to that point where you believe, well, I've, I haven't sinned for three days. You know, they, they worked this doctrine, what they call uh, sinless perfection, that was a Wesley doctrine, that he came to the end of his life and he never obtained it. And he knew it. Matter of fact, he said so. So there's no such thing as sinless perfection. But what we do see here is the Bible says, God is faithful. Now, why is God faithful? Well, the verse tells us. What's he say? God is faithful by whom you were called. Now that is the effectual call. Not every person in the world receives the effectual call. But this verse and every verse you find the word called, it refers to a believer. Never one time does that word refer to an unbeliever. No matter what their arguments not there. I've read the New Testament multiple times. It's not there. So when I look at the Word of God, God is faithful. I'm encouraged. Because I know if my righteousness or my faith depended upon my performance, oh my goodness, I failed miserably. God is faithful by whom you were called now look at the ye, that's talking about believers. All these people that he's been talking about all the way through this text, talking about believer. God is faithful by whom you were called under the fellowship of his son. Now look what he says. God is faithful by whom you were called. The father gave us to the son. God is faithful by whom you were called under the fellowship of of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Nothing's more important than that. Your life is meaningless apart from Christ. Your life is vanity apart from Christ. You're wasting your life apart from Christ. The Bible is very clear with that. So when I think about that as a child of God, one that's truly been born again, God is faithful by whom you were called under the fellowship. Now when I think of that word fellowship, I know that you and I are created for fellowship. You know, some people believe they can be lone rangers in this work of God. 
I don't know who's telling them that. You're not a Lone Ranger. You're not an independent island where you sit on your little island and just fight your fight all by yourself. No, we need each other. We need each other. That's the way God created us. The church especially. I mean, look what he says here. God is faithful by whom you were called under the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now think about the fellowship. Drop denominational names. Because my brothers or sisters are not all Baptists. My preacher friends that I have are, are not all Baptists. Many of them, but not all. I remember what Charles Spurgeon said about Baptists. He told his mother in a letter that he wrote her, and he told her that, I know that you have prayed for me to become a son of God, and God's done much more than that. He's made me a Baptist. And his mother, that totally shocked her because it just wasn't part of the plan that she had for her boy, Charles Spurgeon. But he was a Baptist. And what do we mean by Baptist? You know, I want to just, I want to touch on that a minute. Um, there's nothing wrong with being a Baptist. I've been a Baptist all my life. And what I mean by being a Baptist is, doctrinally, I'm Baptistic in my doctrine. That's pretty simple. But I know there are other brothers and sisters that love the Lord Jesus Christ that may not be Baptists. So when I look at a verse like this, it says, God is faithful by whom he recalled under the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, I believe he's talking about all believers of all kinds. Because I've seen God do mighty works in some of you from the very beginning. And I believe when God saves, he saves eternally. And I believe when I look at that fellowship, I think, boy, what an amazing thing, that fellowship with Christ. That means I can go anywhere in the world and find a brother or sister in Christ that loves the Lord Jesus Christ and has the Holy Spirit, no doubt in my mind they're a brother or a sister in Christ. And they love him. And that's the way we should be. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, when you talk about Jesus Christ with people, do you have that love in your heart? I want more of that love in my heart. I, don't want, I want it to burn in my heart like a fire. I want to be ready for the defense and confirmation of the gospel. I want to be ready for the argument, but not to win it, but to glorify God in it. Remember we talk about that, the argument. Some things are just not worth arguing about. But if somebody comes and says something that's absolutely not according to biblical truth, then you and I should have enough of scripture in our hearts to tell them why what they are believing or saying is not true. And not because we're trying to be proud and we're, we're how smart we are because we know Christ better than anybody, but because we want them to know the truth, but the Bible says the truth is what sets you free. You know, some people, they tell me, I don't want to come to Christ. If I do that, I won't do all the things I like to do. You know, the Bible says I can't do this, I can't do that. But what they don't understand is when the Holy Spirit does a work of regeneration in your heart, all those things you once enjoyed, you no longer have a desire for. Because God has changed your heart. He's given you a new heart. And so when Paul's talking to this church, He's reminding them of who they are in Christ. So when I look at the final verse here in our text today, God is faithful. There's not a doubt in my mind. God is faithful to me, even when I am unfaithful to him. Because he loves me with a love I don't understand. 
He loves me with unconditional love. But God demands obedience from us. You know, you can't just say, oh, God loves me so I can live any way I want. You know, we call that a, a carnal, quote-unquote, Christian, and we'll address the carnal Christian later on. But what I want you to realize is that the power and working of God in your heart puts a burning in your bosom where you want to tell everybody you know about what Christ has done for you. And you just can't wait to tell them. You know, if the church is like that, how many more people want to come and fellowship and meet Christ? They say, you know, that person over there, they're different than all the people I know that are Christian. They actually believe what they say they believe. And they live the way they should live. They're different than all the Christians. So when the Bible says here again, God is faithful by whom you are called under the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ. You have been given from the Father to Christ. You are a gift from the Father to Christ. And the Holy Spirit has done the work of regeneration in your heart where you've truly been born again, regenerated by the power and working of the Spirit. So if you say, I love the Lord Jesus Christ, my question is, do you not want to love him more than you do? Don't we want to love him with all our passion? Well, he is our life. He is the purpose of why I breathe. That should be your outcome. That should be. And if it isn't, you need to ask God to help you. Help you to have that passion. Help you to have opportunities to be a, a soul winner. Now the Bible says he that winner souls is wise. That's just a man that goes and tells everybody about what Christ has done in your heart and how Christ can change their lives and give them a new heart where they be a new creation.